What's up, everybody? Welcome to the crossings. Kalia! Come on down. You knew we were doing this, right? Yeah. Okay. So Kalia made the decision to give her life to Christ this past week, and I'm up here pulling your hair. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, have a seat. We're going to give you uh, baby believers material to go through. That's some discipleship material. We go through, when we study the Bible with folks, um, and people make a decision to follow Jesus, the, the study and the time we spend with folks doesn't stop there. Because when you decide to give your life to Christ, the, you're kind of like a spiritual baby. And babies, when they come out of the womb, they're not going and getting a job the next day, right? They're, they're, they're going to need some care. They're going to need some specialized care for a period of time to make sure they're fed and get all the needs met that they need met so that they can grow, you know? Now, if a baby stays a baby, what do we call that? We call that a problem, right? If, if there's never any development, what did you say? Okay, that's great. Yeah, failure to thrive. Uh, that's my niece. You guys give her a hand. Come on. All right. Um, did I embarrass you? I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm, that's my job. Uh, so uh, it, it's important that you grow. If, if there's not a growth, then there, we say there's something wrong. There's something that has happened that is not good. Uh, there is a failure to thrive. And so uh, you need the nutrients to grow. You need, you need to feed yourself to grow. You need help to grow when you're a baby. But then you get to where you can run. You get to where you, you can help others later. You get to, where you get to be where you can be a parent yourself later. But there's a period of growth that you have to go through. Now, in the church, guys, whenever you decide to become a Christian, you are a spiritual baby. But then you have people around you in your spiritual family that are going to help you be fed. You have people around you that are going to help you grow. You have people around you that are going to be able to see the world a little bit differently. Because my three-year-old, you know, they didn't know not to stick keys in the light socket. I had to tell them that. I knew that because my experience, I'm a little bit further down the road, I knew not to stick keys in the light socket because I had been taught. They had not, right? I had to teach them. Until you're taught, you just don't know. Guys, there's stuff in life. We're talking about really, really big, important stuff in life like raising kids, Guess what? You don't know how to do it unless you've been taught. Things like being married and having good relationships. Guess what? You don't know how to do it unless you've been taught. You don't know, uh, you don't know how to live life the way God says is best to live it unless you've been taught. It's part of the rhythm of life. It's part of the way God has kind of set things up. Now, I'm saying all this because of the topic we're on today. We're going through a series in the book of Acts, uh, which the book of Acts, if you don't know, it's kind of, it's in the Bible. It's about uh, 28 chapters, and it's the history of the, the first few years of the church. It's what happened after Jesus uh, rose from the dead and, and uh, all the stuff happened with him, and, and then he left earth, and he sent his people out and gave them instructions, gave them a mission, said, hey, I'm coming back someday, but here's what I want you to go do in the meantime. And the book of Acts is the story about how those group, that group of people took the instructions of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and they took it out into the world, and they started applying it, and all the stuff God did along the way there. And they had people that were trying to stop them. They had people that uh, thought Jesus was a false teacher, that they needed to, to stop people talking about him. And so they were going around trying to, there was all this conflict. You know, you had, you had heroes of the faith 
uh, these guys who are traveling from city to city telling people about Jesus, and there are literally groups of people out trying to kill them and stop them. Like, it's this adventure, and it's this story, but man, there, there, there's so much in here where the people, the, the, the early disciples of Jesus are, are just, they're together and they're being family with one another. Have any of you guys noticed that in the book of Acts? How often these guys spent time together. And how often they uh, just seem to really, really, really love each other. And we're going to look at some of that today. I say all that because the topic today is fellowship. We're on the topic of fellowship. Uh, this is something that uh, is, is super, super duper important to understand. Because let me tell you this, okay? If you don't have the right fellowship, you're not going to be who you need to be. If you don't have the right fellowship in your life, you're not going to be the person that God designed you to be. If you don't have the right fellowship in life, guys, it can affect where you spend your eternity. That's how serious this is. Guys, this idea of fellowship, how you decide to handle fellowship in your life, and all of you guys, you get to make your own decisions about what you do with your time and your life. How you decide to handle fellowship will affect whether you go to heaven or to hell. And it will affect whether you influence others to go to heaven or to hell. That's how serious of a topic this is. Okay, Super duper serious. You say, what is fellowship? Let me be clear here. Fellowship in the Bible is uh, it, the, the word in the original language is koinonia, but it means a mutual sharing. When we say we have fellowship, it means we have a mutually shared relationship. Meaning, uh, we, we are vulnerable with one another. We are uh, open with one another. We are honest about where we are. Let me give you an example, okay? Like, if I come to a church... And I make some friends, and let's say I'm struggling with addiction. Those of you that know me, um, I was a drug addict for years and years, struggled horribly with addiction to all kinds of substances until God delivered me from that. Uh, this, was, this was years ago, okay? Uh, I know what it feels like to struggle with cocaine and, and you know, all that stuff. I, I know what withdrawal feels like. It's not, I'm not ignorant to those things. I know how, what it feels like to get sick when you, when you don't have what you need. Like, I know how that feels, okay? Um, if I came to a church and I'm struggling with that stuff, but I pretend like I'm not, do I have fellowship with those people? Okay? Guys, let me be clear. You can be in a room full of people you can be around people all the time. You can spend 24 hours of your day around people and not have fellowship with them. Because you pretend to be somebody else or you refuse to ever be open and let people really get to know you. You can be in a room full of people. Guys, you can come to this church and participate in this small group ministry which is designed to connect people relationally. And you can hide, and you can not show up, and you can uh, just not be real 
and not have fellowship. Guys, this is so easy to do. It's so easy to do. And what happens is you will never tap into the blessings that God has in store for your life when you neglect the, the, the fellowship that God has in store for you. And what we try to do here at The Crossings, guys, is, is we try to create an environment where fellowship can happen. But whether fellowship happens for you on an individual basis or not, you are the only one who has control over that. You are the only one who has control over that because you are the only one besides God who knows the real you. When I say your heart, you know, we talk sometimes about your heart, what's going on in your heart. When I say heart, your heart is who you are on the inside that nobody else can see. Your heart is that inner conversation that you have where you're saying what you really think about somebody. Now, you may, you may, you may be somebody saying something to, to their face. That's one thing. But in, my, in your mind, you're thinking something else. That's your heart. Think of your heart and your mind as the same thing. Okay? Same thing. It's the, it, your inner self. Some of us, we guard our hearts to the point that we never let anybody else know what is going on in our hearts. And we do this because we are afraid of rejection. We are afraid of letting people get too close because they can hurt us when they get too close. And so we keep people at a distance and push them away. But guys, in the church, God never, ever, ever intended for the church to be that way. God wants the church and expects the church to be a spiritual family where we can, we can be close You've got some notes in your bulletin if you want to pull those out. Um, it's going to have most of the passages of Scripture we're going to look at on there. Uh, and it's also got some places for you to take a, a note or two. And the first blank on your notes is loving fellowship is essential to discipleship. Loving fellowship is essential to discipleship. And some of you might be wondering what discipleship is. Discipleship, when we say... Um, because you need to become a Christian or you're going to become a Christian. When we say the word Christian at the crossings, we mean disciple. Because that's what the word that's used in the Bible to describe Christians was. And what a disciple is, is a student who's trying to be like their teacher. That's, that's a real simple definition. So as disciples of Jesus, who are we trying to be like? Trying to be like Jesus. Who are we trying to think like? trying to think like Jesus. Who are we trying to act like? We're trying to act like him in his actions. We're trying to act like him in his attitudes. We're trying to emulate his heart. Where it's, it goes beyond just behavior modification, we're actually trying to try to be like him in our hearts. Where we feel what he feels and think how he thinks. That's discipleship. Disciple making, when we talk about disciple making, uh, this is where somebody that loves Jesus goes and teach, teaches somebody else how to follow Jesus too. That's disciple-making, and that's something that all of us uh, who are disciples are called to do. Successful discipleship, though, whenever we say we are successful in our discipleship, what we mean by that is we are becoming like Jesus. If my discipleship has been 100% successful, then I am 100% like Jesus. I think like him, I, I talk like him, I've got values like him. That's 100% success right there. That's my, that's my standard. 
Now, love in the life of Jesus is one of the primary characteristics of Jesus. One of the primary characteristics of Jesus is love. If you look at his life, he broke the rules when it came to love. You weren't supposed to love certain people in his day. That He went on and loved them anyway and got criticized for it, right? Anybody in here, you're not going to make a case that Jesus was, was a hateful man. There's no evidence. Like, you will not be able to make that case, but you can make the case that Jesus was a loving man. There's lots of evidence, right? Lots and lots of evidence. Uh, now, I can say that I identify as a 10-foot-tall Asian woman. Does that uh, align with the evidence? No, okay? Now, some people may say it's okay for me to identify as a 10-foot-tall Asian woman in the climate we're in today. But I would, I, would, I would go on to say that the evidence does not line up with that I am a 10-foot-tall Asian woman, okay? Uh, I do not have the characteristics of a 10-foot-tall Asian woman. I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't have them. Um, and I'm not good at math. Is that racist? It was kind of racist. Uh, it's a complementary racist kind of thing, right? So anyway... Um, I am not a 10-foot-tall Asian woman because I do not have the characteristics of, 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 of that. You cannot make that case. Guys, if you are saying you're a disciple of Christ, but you don't have love present in your life, it's the same thing. The characteristics don't align. You can say that you are a disciple of Christ, but if you do not have the characters of Christ present in your life, that's silly. That's just a silly thing to say. You can say that you're a Christian, but if you say you're a Christian and you don't love the other Christians around you, it's like me saying I'm a 10-foot-tall Asian woman. That doesn't jive. That doesn't line up. You cannot be hateful and unloving to the people around you and say you're a Christian. Period. It doesn't work like that. Okay? It's super-duper important that we be people that love. Jesus wants his followers to be so loving toward one another that it's noticeable to the outside world. Uh, I'm going to ask Mike to read this passage of scripture in John 13. Uh, and this is going to be the basis for what we talk about today. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. All right. Thank you, Mike. Here Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Why did he say that he's given them a new commandment? Now, let me set the scene. You don't see it in the text here. If you read a little bit before, you'll see Jesus is just with the 12 at this point. This is around the table. The context where he's having this conversation, he's around the table. He has uh, washed their feet which was not typical of a rabbi. He was taking the role of a servant to do that, made them really uncomfortable. And then he says, hey, I want you to love each other like this, right after he had done this for them. Now, what's going to happen right after this? This is the same meal where Judas is going to betray him. He's going to go and, and, and get the uh, Jewish authorities very shortly after this conversation to come and arrest Jesus. Jesus is then going to be beaten, and he's going to be tortured to death on a cross. Right? That's what is about to happen. Jesus knows that that's about to happen. 
God had supernaturally revealed to him that this was going to happen. We know that because he stated it. He told the disciples it was going to happen. But he doesn't run away. He knows Judas is going to betray him. He doesn't stop fellowshipping him. He lets him do it. Right? Crazy. But he tells these smelly young men that he's with, these teenage boys, most of these boys that were following him, Peter may have been a little bit older. You know, he might have been in his early 20s, but most of these are probably late teens that he's hanging out with that Jesus is teaching. They're about that age. And so he tells these boys at that table, after he washes their stinky feet, I want you to love each other like this. He says a new commandment. I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love one another. Now, this is different. This is a new commandment because he had already told them before this, I want you to love God. The greatest command is love God. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He'd already told them that stuff. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's saying, I'll give you a new commandment. I want you disciples to love the other disciples. Or if he was in this room, he would say, hey, I want you people in the crossings, I want you guys to love each other the way that I just loved you. I just washed your feet. I just lowered myself and served you. I want you to love each other like that. I want you to put the feelings of others ahead of your own. I want you to put the needs of others ahead of your own. I want you to put the dreams of others ahead of your own. Make your life about others. Love one another. I want you to love each other like that. Have you ever heard the phrase, man, I like Jesus, but I just don't like the church? I'm spiritual, but not religious. Because, uh, man, I, I like God and I like Jesus, but those church people, man, they can, they can just go play in traffic. Have you ever thought that? Maybe not the playing in traffic part, but you don't want to be around them, you know what I mean? You don't want to be around them. I felt that. Man, I remember before I became a Christian, when I was running around, uh, you know, doing, doing drugs and stuff, one of the reasons I didn't want to go to church is because I thought church was full of fake people. That's where all those people go and pretend to have it all together, but they're all fake. I worked in local media. I used to criticize the church. We used to run ads on our radio station that uh, were really nasty to Christians, and, and we would run them just to be up in people's faces because we hated you guys. I was on the other team. And, uh, man, it wasn't until God put some people in my life that chose to love me despite my hostility and despite my lack of care for them or belief. They chose to love me anyway, even though I wasn't very lovable. They loved me anyway. And that's what made me open my heart to maybe investigating this stuff. And anyway... That's what led to me into becoming a Christian. Some people came and loved on me when I was unlovable. For years, though, I did not see a point to church. I thought it was a waste of time. You know, I thought even if there's a God, cool, I'll, 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 I'd love to spend some time with him, but I still don't want to do this church stuff. It wasn't until people came in and loved me through that, that it opened my heart to maybe investigating something differently. What I learned, guys, is I got to know the real God, and as I read the Bible, is that my views on church and my views of, of people and you guys 
man, it, it, I was way, way, way off. Guys, the church for Christianity, your participation in the church is not optional. Like either you are a part of the church as a Christian or you're just not a Christian. And I don't, look, I know that sounded mean. I don't mean to sound mean. I'm just, this is the way that God set it up. And, and the reason, guys, is because there's stuff that you're not going to learn by yourself. There, and, and not only that, there's certain gifts that you have that I don't have. There's stuff you can do that I can't do, and there's stuff I can do that you can't do. And guys, until we're together, like in family together, our family's incomplete. And, and God has this mission for us in the world to make the world a better place, but he needs all of us working together to get anywhere in accomplishing that mission. Because we all have different gifts, and we all bring different things to the table. And not everybody's designed to come up and stand on a stage you know, but not everybody is designed to go do a bunch of other stuff either. Like, we need each other. We are all designed to work together. Whenever we don't work together, we're acting outside of our design. And here's the crazy thing, okay? God is, is if God is real, and he is, and if God is a designer, and he is, and if God is responsible for creating every single person and every single thing, every single material an immaterial creation ever. That kind of covers everything. He's responsible for it. Who's best qualified to tell us how it should work? Anybody want to take a guess? It's God. He's best qualified to tell us how it works. And we just need to listen to him. What God says about fellowship is this should be central to your life and this is going to affect your life. Um, and your love for each other, guys, your love for one another is going to be the evidence for whether I'm really in your life or not. You cannot be a Christian and not love other disciples. And I don't think you can say you love other disciples if you never spend any time with them or talk to them or get to know them. Amen? So... Participation in church, guys, is not just about coming to church and listening to a sermon and singing some songs and going home. The church, guys, the point of the church is this is our family. And when I get together with you guys, I look forward to getting together with you guys because I get to come see my family. And I look forward to spending time, you know, having people over to my house or going over to people's houses, just hanging out, having fun. Why? Because I look forward to spending time with family. It's fun. I enjoy it. We get together to enjoy one another as well as enjoy God. Amen? We need to not get, our, get that twisted where we think that our relationships are not that important. They are. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to talk more about that as we go. I want to pause for a moment and remember what Jesus did for us, though. Uh, the basis for our ability to love one another really is it comes from uh, how much love has been poured out on us. It says in, in the book of 1 John, we love because he first loved us. Like we have love to give to everybody else because Jesus has loved us so much. And the greatest evidence that we have of that is that he died on the cross for us. You know, the Bible teaches if we sin, which sin is just acting outside of our design. It's, it's doing something that God said either to do that we don't do or not to do that we do do. Uh, it's acting outside of our design. 
God says whenever we do that, it cuts off fellowship with him. And so any of us who have sinned, guys, we are completely cut off from God. We're cut off from the source of life and light and goodness. We are cut off from him when we sin. And so what God does, because he's good, is he doesn't want us to be cut off from him. So he provides a way for us to have our fellowship with him restored. And that is through the sacrifice of Jesus. Because Jesus came, and he never sinned. He lived a perfect life. Man, he, he even uh, went beyond with, like, God gave him the power to do miracles. And he went around doing miracles and helping people and healing people. And people got mad at him, and they killed him. Because they didn't like some of the stuff he was saying. They thought it threatened, threatened their power. And so they killed him. But God raised him from the dead after three days, brought him back. And then Jesus uh, came and taught us all the significance of his death. What he said that God decided to do is if we will put our faith in Jesus and follow Jesus and try to become like Jesus in life, uh, he will take that sin away. He'll count his death as, as our death. He'll count his punishment as our punishment. All that all that suffering on the cross, God's just going to apply it to us and he's going to give us a pass because we put our faith in Jesus. And uh, that's what communion is meant to remind us of. We serve a God who loves us so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself for us. Now, in terms of fellowship, guys, communion should be in the forefront. When we talk about loving one another... We serve a God who sacrificed his life for the good of someone else. Whenever we're called to love others, guys, we need to remember, we need to, we need to make sacrifices to love the people around us because that's what Jesus did. That's part of being Christ-like, right? So greater love, John 15, 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Man, that is exactly what Jesus does for all of us. And so, guys, I want you to think as we take communion today, we're going to pass some trays in a minute. It's got some juice and a cracker in there. The juice is meant to help us remember Jesus bled for us. The cracker is meant to represent his body and to remind us that Jesus allowed his body to be broken for us. Because Jesus sacrificed himself, I have a chance. And so I just want us to think, guys, remember, this is how much God loves me. He was willing to sacrifice for me. He was willing to lay down his son's life for me. And then I want you to think, too, guys, am I willing to sacrifice for the good of others like Christ? Am I willing to be Christ-like in, in my sacrifice of time and energy or resources or whatever it might be? Just think that through this morning as we take communion, and then we're going to come back and, and complete our lesson let me pray. God, thank you for bringing us together. Um, I want to pray a blessing on this communion this morning. Help us, God, just to think through your example of loving, love and then calling us to love one another, God. Um, help us to be faithful in this, Lord, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. So when I first became a minister, I was uh, in my early 20s, and one of my mentors was a guy named Gary Lambrick. Uh, Gary was a neat guy. Uh, he was a former collegiate wrestler. He got crushed by a tree when he was like 22 and almost died. So he had all kinds of problems with his back and stuff. But uh, just a super duper faithful man. 
who taught me a lot about sacrifice. When it's, when it's hard for you to walk and you force yourself to walk to go help people every day for years and years and years, uh, you know, that's, that by itself is just part of his example that he gave to me. Um, but one of the things Gary had me do as a young minister is that when I was going to preach my first lesson, he gave me a passage of scripture to look at to go and, and study and then go and do a lesson on. And that passage he gave me was Acts 2, 42 through 47. And Acts 2, 42 through 47 is the very first description in the Bible of the first church. It was the church that started after Jesus uh, had left earth. He had gone through the death, burial, and resurrection. He had left the earth. He had given his disciples instructions to go and uh, be with witnesses. And uh, we see this church start in Jerusalem, and the characteristics present in that church were so different than what I had come to know growing up in church that this stuff, this, this passage has always just stuck with me ever since then. I grew up going to church with my mom and dad, but I didn't experience the stuff that I saw that I was reading in this, in this book here, okay? Because it says in this first church, the early church, the first one, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That's, that's how it starts out. So you have all these people that become Christians all at the same time. They form this church, this group of people, which church, by the way, the word church literally means gathering. In the original language, you can translate it that way. The gathering. Does that make it sound a little different to you in your head? Take the building out, guys. This is the people. The gathering of people. The people that love Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Central. That means they were learning from the apostles' teaching. That means the teachings of Jesus, right? The apostles are just teaching what Jesus taught. They're devoted to those teachings. They're, the Bible, like Bible study, they're devoted to that. And then they're devoted to fellowship, guys. Okay, so what did that look like, to be devoted to fellowship in the early church? Well, 44, all the believers continued together in close fellowship. What did it look like? Well, they shared their belongings with one another. Verse 45, they would sell their property and possessions and distribute the money among all according to what each one needed. How often did they meet? Day after day, they met, to, met as a group in the temple. They had their meals together in their homes. They ate together with glad and humble hearts, praising God. And it says right after this, God was adding to their number daily, those that were being saved. There were all these people that were seeing this. So Jesus says, Jesus says, if you love me, or, excuse me, if you love one another, the, the whole world's going to know you're my disciples. If you love one another like this. And what we see then in the early church is we see this loving family that affects the world around them. Notice, guys, it says they're, you know, they're praying together. They're learning about Jesus together. We know that. They were devoted to fellowship, to prayer, uh, to the apostles' teachings, all those things. But then they also were sharing with one another their material possessions. It says some of them actually sold their possessions because there were some poor people among them that needed help. And so they decided to sacrifice their stuff to give it to somebody else. Being together often. How often did the early church meet together? This early church. Every day. Every stinking day they met together. Now that was one of the things that stood out to me Whenever Gary gave me this passage when I was in my early 20s, 
that was one of the things that struck me, is that this group, they loved each other so much, they were together every day. Wow. Uh, they shared meals together. How often? Often. It doesn't say. It just, it just, it, just often. Like, they didn't have a schedule. But it was a lot, right? Uh, praising God together. How often did they do that together? Often, right? So in the early church, the example that we have is that this is a group that wasn't just together. Uh, they were together daily. And it wasn't because they had to or they felt com- like somebody was pressuring them to. They were together because they wanted to. Because they loved the other people around them. They loved them. Guys, you have got, if you're a disciple, you have, if you don't, if you struggle with this, like, okay, if you struggle with wanting to go to small group, let's just say you're one of those. I don't want to go. In your heart, how do you feel about the people in that group with you? How do you feel about them? Because if you were Christ-like, and I'm not trying to be mean, okay? Again, I want to preface this. I'm not trying to be mean. But I'm gonna, I want to be straight, too. If you were Christ-like, are we good here? All right. Uh, if we were Christ-like, we would not be having those thoughts where I just don't want to go to group. I, and I'll tell you, I'm an introvert, okay? I'm an introvert. I don't get energy from being with you guys. I, I, I'm drained from being with you guys. I love being with you guys. Don't get me wrong, okay? This is just how my mind and my heart work. It's designed by God. Some of you are the same way, okay? It's, it's nothing to feel guilty over, but it is something to recognize as a weakness sometimes. Because there's some days, guys, I love you guys and you know that, but there's some days I want to stay in bed because I'm tired. Or I've been dealing with a crisis and I'm emotionally drained and now i got to come deal with another one. Like, and it's hard sometimes. But I have to recognize in those moments when I feel just like, not, that's a weakness. Okay, my, my, my introversion in that is a weakness. Okay? i got to fight against that weakness. I can't let that feeling become the excuse Guys, if you let your feelings dictate your life, your life is going to suck. Seriously. Like, you, have, you cannot let your feelings dictate what you do in a day. Your feelings cannot be your God. You know, God has feelings. He has emotions, but he is never subject to them. And we need to learn from that. We cannot be subject to that. Well, I don't feel like it. My feelings are God, and I can't be uncomfortable because that would just, well, I can't, just can't have that. Come on. We serve a God who died on a cross. Sweat and blood before he could, asking God to take it from him. He sweat blood and then he went and died on a cross. You can't go to small group because you're tired. Freaking get over it. Come on. Seriously. Quit being a baby. Like, get over it. This is so important. This is so stinking important. Guys, on those days when I don't feel like going and I make myself go, I'm always glad that I did. I always leave like, man, I'm so glad I did that. So glad I did that. But man, it's, it's easy to not. This is so important. This is so important. Real biblical fellowship too, guys. It centers around Jesus. Uh, if you're getting together to play Dungeons and Dragons on Tuesdays with your friends, that's not biblical fellowship. 
Now that's fellowship, yes, but guys, if, if Jesus isn't central, it's not biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is this Acts 2 fellowship. They had prayer, they had praise, they had people coming to know Jesus. Yes, they had fun games and, and entertainment and, and fun with one another, but guys, there was more to that. It was Jesus that was the glue that was holding them together. That's what fellowship is. The loving fellowship was a characteristic of Jesus. It was a characteristic of the Jerusalem church. And then it was a characteristic of every church that we saw planted after that in the Bible. This is just central. We are so stupid about this when in the United States. Because our culture, guys, it is so natural for us just to go home and turn on Netflix and put in earbuds and not talk to anybody and get on Facebook. And just be by ourselves. Like, that's normal. Guys, that is so foreign to what we see in the Bible and the way we need to operate in life. Like, like, if you decide to become a follower of Jesus, you got some habits that got to change. And a big part of your habits that got to change is the way you handle your relationships with the people around you and whether you're intentional with them or not. If you don't tap into relationships the way God says to and the way that he guides us to in the Bible, you're not going to be the person you need to be. Because you're not going to learn the things you need to learn because God designed you to need other people to grow and develop the way that you need to. Every single one of us. There's no exception. We need one another. Now, in Acts 20, I want to show you how this loving fellowship shows up in these other churches. In Acts 20, uh, we see Paul as he's about to leave this church in Ephesus. I'm going to read this passage because this is leading up to what's on your notes. But this is from Acts 20, verse 22 through 27. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, <coughs> I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. This is Paul speaking. He says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Man, what a G. He says, I don't care. I'm, I don't care what faces me. We're, we're going, right? He's like a tank. Uh, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Let me read that again. He tells this group of people, this church in Ephesus that he'd been working with. He says, now I know you guys aren't going to see me again. You guys catch that? You're not going to see me again. He goes on. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. Because I haven't hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. He says, man, I got up here and I told you the truth even when it made you mad at me. Even if it was going to run you off. I came up here and I told the truth. And so I'm innocent of your blood if you choose not to take this and, and do something with it. Guys, at the end of the day, Paul knew it was their choice. Same when I get up here and I speak to you, I know it's your choice. We can say what we need to say, but at the end of the day, you get to choose. You get to choose just like they got to choose. Paul had gotten really close to these people. He felt really, really connected to these people. And look at how Paul feels. Now, I'm going to read this from, uh, from the voice paraphrase. Acts 20, 35 through 38. This is right after this. It says, imagine this scene as Paul finishes speaking. He kneels down and we all join him kneeling. He prays and we all join him praying. There's the sound of weeping and then more weeping and then more still. One by one, we embrace Paul and kiss him. Our sadness multiplied because of his words about this being our last goodbye. We walk with him to the ship and he sets sail. 
can you see this man? He tells this church, we're, I'm leaving and you guys aren't going to see me again. You guys know what was about to happen to Paul? God had revealed to him he was going to Jerusalem to die. That's what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is Paul is going to go to Jerusalem and crazy old Nero, crazy old Nero is going to have him beheaded in a Roman arena in front of a, 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 a crowd of people that cheer and clap while it's happening. That's what's about to happen. Paul knows he's going somewhere that's not good, but God had told him to go there. Guys, just like Jesus sat in that garden and prayed to God to let that cup pass from him and sweat blood. Because that sweating of blood, that's an actual medical condition called hematidrosis, by the way. A medical doctor. I read this from them. It's, it's, it's a rare condition that occurs only when you're under the most intense psychological pressure. It's very rare. But if you get under enough stress, the membranes around your sweat glands thin to the point that they allow like red fluid to pass through where it looks like blood is coming out of your pores. It is an actual medical condition caused by stress. Jesus had horrible, horrible stress because he knew he was about to die, praying, but he goes and does it anyway. God's Paul here now knows bad things are happening in his future where God is sending him, but God has sent him there and he's going to go, even if the bad things are going to happen. Okay? I want that to challenge us because some of us in here, our main excuse for not engaging in fellowship is usually comfort related or I'm tired, I work a lot. Okay, like this is how important this is. The example that we have in Scripture is people like literally laying their life down for this stuff. That's how important it is. And the excuses that we make, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, but then the excuses that we make are so lame sometimes for why we aren't faithful. And to be honest, guys, in our country, in the United States, it's normal because everybody's faith is unhealthy just about in this country. Like most people are not as committed to the point where it inspires others to be committed. You know what I'm saying? Which, by the way, that's the definition of faithful. Literally, in the original language, the word faithful means you're faithful enough to inspire faith in somebody else. If you aren't a good enough example to, fire, to inspire somebody else to, to put faith in Jesus, then you're not faithful. That's pretty tough te definition right there. But that's what it is. That's the definition of faithful, is you inspire it in somebody else. Uh, guys, we cannot treat fellowship optionally or like this isn't that big of a deal. Guys, this is central to faith. That's how important this is. Secondly, uh, Loving fellowship can actually impede my discipleship, if I'm not careful, too. Loving fellowship can impede my discipleship. Now, this may be uh, surprising to hear, because fellowship is so good, 
well, there, there could be something bad that comes from it too if we don't handle it right. Now, why, why do I say this? Because fellowship, really intense, loving fellowship can cause me to place my emotions over my mission. It can cause me to place my emotions over my mission in life. Uh, Paul had a mission. He had a very specific mission. He was called by God to go do some certain things. Uh, he had been especially called by God to do some things. And so he knew when these people uh, were, were weeping and not wanting him to go, not wanting him to leave Ephesus, he knew that he had to go because God had called him. And so look at how it describes his leaving, though. It says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to cost. That, that, that phrase, torn ourselves away, like they didn't want to leave. Have you ever uh, had a goodbye that felt like that? where you really didn't want to have this goodbye, but you had to. And so you just, you felt yourself like clinging to that person, you know, uh, or that place as you're leaving because you don't want to leave. That's kind of what it's like here. Like he doesn't want to leave. They don't want him to leave, but he knows he's got a mission. So he tears himself away and he goes, it says, the next day we went to Rhodes and from there, Patero, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail after setting uh, after sighting Cyprus and passing the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there. So they go and find the disciples in Tyre. It says they stayed there seven days through the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, capital S. Uh, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So he goes and finds the believers in this other place. Uh, it says that they urged him not to to continue on his journey. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, but this, this idea of being torn away, does it sound like Paul's departure from Ephesus was pleasant? It doesn't. He says he was torn away, like he's clinging to it and doesn't want to go. It's not something he wants to do, but it's something God calls him to do. It's not something he wants to do, but it's something God calls him to do. Can I repeat that again? It's not something he wants to do, but it's something God calls him to do. So what does he do? If God calls you to do something you don't want to do, what should your response be? Do it. That's the right answer. It's not, if God calls me to do it, but it's inconvenient for me, I'm going to come up with reasons not to. Doesn't work like that. If God calls me to do it, but I don't want to, we're going to make a case, and I'm going to do some intellectual kung fu, and I'm going to make this passage of Scripture say something else. Poof. Here's my argument. Come on, man. Let's not do that. Have you ever... Uh, prayed for God to give you a sense of peace if this is his leading for you? Have you ever had a decision to make and, and uh, well, I just, don't, I just don't have a sense of peace with that, so that must be God's leading. Have you ever thought that? Is it just me? I used to do this all the time, man. When I would try to make a decision, I would pray, and if I felt good, I thought my feelings were... Um, were what was most important in that moment. Guys, my point that I'm trying to make is sometimes God calls you to do things that you don't want to do, and it doesn't matter if you don't want to do it or not. 
And sometimes God calls us to do stuff that we don't want to do because we don't want to do it, and God wants us to learn to be obedient. That's it. That may be the only lesson he wants us to learn, is he wants us to learn to be obedient, where we don't let our feelings be God. If you let your feelings be God, that's idolatry. Feelings are not God. God is God. And we got to just let him be God, man. But it's hard. It's not, like, anybody that tells you being a Christian is easy? No, it's not. It's really difficult. It's difficult to lay down and let God be God. Because I don't want to. Like, I want to know best, right? Um, but we can't do that. we got to be faithful. Uh, moving on here in 21, verse 8, it says, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Okay, so Satan's goal is to make me place my emotions over my mission where I don't want to leave a place or go somewhere because I, I like these relationships so much I don't want to leave them. If Paul had done that, he wouldn't have kept moving on. Not only that, he gets two different uh, groups of people telling him not to go where God had told him to go. The other thing that can happen if we misapply fellowship, uh, well, if we mishandle fellowship, is we can misapply the message of the Holy Spirit. And that's the next blank on your notes. By causing me to misapply the Holy Spirit's message. And I just want to highlight again uh, in verse 4. They said, it says, we sought out the disciples there, stayed with them seven days through the Spirit. They urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then in verse 12, a different group of people says, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Okay, Two different groups of disciples, by the leading of the Spirit, tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What's the problem? The problem is in Acts 20, verse 22 uh, God had told Paul to go to Jerusalem. So in, ver in chapter 20, God tells Paul, can we get that scripture on the, on the thing, please? Acts 20, verse 22. Uh, it says, And now in obedience to the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I know that in every city the Holy Spirit has warned me that prison and troubles wait for me. Okay, right here, Paul says the Holy Spirit, God, told me to go to Jerusalem. Okay? Right after this, in the very next chapter, Paul's going to encounter a group in Tyre, then he's going to encounter a group another, in another place, and both groups have gotten some kind of revelation from the Holy Spirit, and they come and tell Paul, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. Okay. Now, I read like four or five different Bible scholars on this, and what all, of, all of them said the same thing. They said what they think happened is these people did get a revelation from God about what was going to happen to Paul, they did get a revelation that things were going to be really bad for Paul in Jerusalem, but God never told them to tell Paul not to go. That's what all of the Bible scholars I read on this said. They said that this group of people misunderstood God's message to them. Uh, God's message to them is that this is what's going to happen to Paul, and that's it. It was a revelation. It wasn't to discourage Paul from going, they think. But again, God knows what he's doing. I have a feeling he probably knew these people were going to respond the way they did. But Paul went anyway. 
God revealed to Paul ahead of time he was going to die a horrible death and a painful death, but Paul went anyway. He revealed to these groups of people in these early churches, miraculously, that Paul was going to go and have all this bad stuff happen, and they watched as Paul went anyway. So what kind of effect did that have on them and their faith? Guys, a lot of these people that were alive when Paul was alive would later give their lives the same way Paul gave his life. Likely because of his example and the example of those like him. Here, well-meaning people though, well-meaning people, they misapply the message that God had given to them, they misunderstood it because they misunderstood the mission, I think, that they were on. The truth is, Paul was going to go and die in a Roman arena, but guys, is Paul dead? Where's Paul right now? Paul's in heaven, man. He's with Jesus. He is paid off. <laughs> all, the, all the suffering, he's been paid way more, way more off. God is just blessing him, Right? And we get that to look forward to. This is all part of God's plan, too. This suffering of Paul. Guys, in Acts 9, this isn't on your um, notes, but in Acts 9, verse 15 and 16, this is how the story of Paul started. This guy, Ananias, is afraid of Paul, and so Ananias doesn't want to go talk to Paul. Paul uh, God is telling Ananias to do it. He says, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, talking about Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's what God said about Paul. And so then what you see in the story that unfolds is exactly that. You see, Paul is going to get killed, but he goes anyway. He goes anyway. The people in fellowship with him don't want him to go and they try to hinder him. Guys, Satan is always going to take good stuff and try to make it into bad stuff. Even, even stuff like church participation, Satan will try to twist. Satan will take money and he'll twist it into materialism. Money by itself isn't, isn't bad, but when you start loving it, it gets bad, right? Uh, Satan will take love and he'll find a way to twist it into lust. He wants to make that what is holy, he wants to make it unholy. He'll take knowledge. If you know a lot, Satan will take your knowledge and he'll try to twist it into pride where you think you know better than everybody and you don't want to listen to anybody. You end up hurting yourself because of it or others. He'll take kindness. Man, some of the most kind people I know, he'll take kindness and turn it into enabling where instead of letting someone deal with the consequences for their actions and getting better, you'll protect them because you're kind. And what you do, you've heard the phrase, killing them with kindness. You are literally killing them with kindness. Especially addicts or alcoholics that you keep propping up and giving a place to live or giving money. Like you're killing them when you do that. But that's how Satan wants to twist it. Satan wants to twist the physical family into a hindrance to the spiritual family. 
He wants you to think family first. And, and he wants you to like hold that up as a value. That's not a value in Scripture. The value in Scripture is God first, above family. Period. But it's considered noble to have values like family first, right? Satan will take fellowship, guys. And what Satan will do with fellowship, when you have a really, really connected church and a really, really close group of friends, is Satan will take your fellowship and he'll twist it into selfishness. Where your, uh, your group of friends and your fun that you get to have with your friends becomes the most important thing to the neglect of the mission of God, to the neglect of holiness, to the neglect of, of all the things God says are important. You'll make that, that good time with your friends the most important thing. And that's what Satan wants to do. That's, the, that's what Satan wants to do with our, with our church here. He wants us to turn the love for our spiritual family into a type of love of self and to make us focus on self. Because if I can just focus on self, if he could just get me to focus on self, guys, that is the opposite of Christ-likeness. That's the opposite of it. There's a time for me to go, and there's a time for me to stay. But guys, at all times, I've got a mission. All times, I've got a mission. And what what, uh, Satan will try to do is he will try to do whatever he can to get me off track of that mission. To get me off track of life. Um, in verse 5 it says, When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. There on the beach we knelt to pray, and after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. Man, this, this is another tearful goodbye. You see Paul's relational connections to these folks. Man, he had spent time among them. Here they are following him out of town. You've got to really love somebody to follow them out of town and tell them goodbye, right? They go all the way to the beach there, crying and praying, and, and they send him on his way. But Paul goes on his way. He had a mission. He didn't want to go on his way, but he goes on his way. Thirdly, loving fellowship can inspire my discipleship. Uh, in Acts 20, we see, um, I think we read last week where Paul's going into, or a couple weeks ago, where Paul's going into Macedonia. So this is all around the same time period. This passage that we're going to read is, is from right here in this block of time we're dealing with, okay? And this is um, a period where he gets really discouraged. Because you guys, you know, we, we've talked about how much Paul got beat up. Like how he was probably handicapped by this time in the story. He probably couldn't use his hands very well because they had been crushed. More than likely by rocks. Because he had, there had been several attempts on his life. And he probably couldn't walk right at this time in the story. Because he had been beaten so much with rods. He probably looked funny. Like, I think there was probably some disfigurement because of some of this. Because these... He, he goes over everything that had happened to him in, in 2 Corinthians 10, and I'm just telling you, his body would have not have looked normal given everything, all the, the beatings and whippings and stuff. He would have had the scar tissue to prove it. Uh, here's what he says about a time when he got really discouraged and how he got encouraged. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, when we arrived in Macedonia, we had a wretched time with the trouble all around us, wrangling outside, anxiety within. Guys, there were people trying to kill him. Literally, and they were getting close. Uh, But then it says, God who cheers the depressed gave us the comfort 
of the arrival of Titus. How does Paul comfort Paul, or how does God comfort Paul here? He sends him a friend. Sends him Titus. So Titus comes and comes alongside Paul. Says, uh, we were given comfort by the arrival of Titus, and it wasn't merely his coming that cheered us, but the comfort you had given him, for he could tell us of your eagerness to help, your deep sympathy, your keen interest on my behalf. All that made me doubly glad. So Titus comes when Paul is really depressed and sad. His friend Titus, his uh, kid that he had taught ministry and, and taught how to follow Jesus, comes and, 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 and encourages him by being there. But then also Titus is telling him what? He's telling him about other people Paul loved. Where was Paul's heart? Where was his heart? Who was he preoccupied with thinking about? Guys, he was thinking about others. If I were sitting in a dang prison cell about to get executed, y'all would not be on my mind unless the Holy Spirit did a work on me. And maybe in that moment, maybe I would have something that I don't right now. Maybe it's those times in life where we're tested that that stuff really comes out. But I just, I would have to be intentional about thinking about you guys in that moment. I have a feeling Paul had to be intentional too. I have a feeling he was tempted to not. I have a feeling he would have been tempted to make it about him. But he doesn't do it. He's faithful. He's a tank for Jesus. He's a tank. He just goes in and nothing stops him. He's thinking about others, guys. Jesus wants us to be those kinds of people for one another. He says in Hebrews 10, let us consider, excuse me, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. The point of church and church participation is for me to go and, and give, but then it's also for you to go and give. Uh, it is not about showing up to get fed. It is about showing up to feed. Does that make sense? That needs to be your attitude. Now, if you're just coming to church and you're just investigating faith, I ain't necessarily talking to you. You're right where you need to be, okay? If you come here and you don't, you don't really know about your relationship with God, you are in the right place because you are with some people today that love Jesus and we may not know you, but we love you. I can tell you that because we try to be like Jesus and Jesus loves you and so we love you. Um, I'm not talking to you, okay? But for those of you that... Uh, have made that commitment to follow Jesus and maybe, maybe have not made this commitment to fellowship the way that you need to, I want to challenge you a little bit because your heart, if that's where you are, you, your heart is unchristlike. And I say that because Jesus really, really loved people and Jesus went out of his way to be a blessing to other people. And when Jesus you know, I got to think when Jesus came into an assembly like this, Jesus was thinking about other people more than he was thinking about himself. And so if I want to be Christ-like, when I think about my participation in the church, like 
the more I mature and, and the, the, the more I, like I need to be thinking more about others than myself if I'm going to get to the point where I'm being like Jesus. I just think that's how he thought. Um, let me give you some practical suggestions, okay? Show up to assemblies 15 minutes early. Show up to assemblies 15 minutes early. Uh, we ask all of our church members to do that. Do you guys know why we do that? Because there's time to just to get to love on people, just to love people. It's just to catch up and how's your week going? And, and let me give you a hug and let, you know, let's play with the kids for a few minutes. Let, let's have some fun. It's just, it's just to have that relational time. Show up early. Show up 15 minutes early. Whenever the amen is said at the end of an assembly, you don't have to run out the front door. You can stay and talk to people. <laughs> um, look, that time after church is such a great time just to go have lunch with some folks and get to know people and spend some time with them. So I encourage you to do that. I encourage you uh, to participate in small groups. We require small groups for membership here at the Crossings. It's required. Uh, the reason is I cannot justify in Scripture being part of a church without having those relational connections. But in our culture, it is so weird uh, to, 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 for like a church experience. It's weird to do anything beyond Sunday for most people. We actually have to say, hey, this is required to be part of our church. Otherwise, people won't take it seriously. And so that's like a unique thing in our culture we have to do because people don't take relationships seriously in the United States. Did you guys know this is one of the loneliest countries in the world? Did you guys know that they've done studies and our country is one of the loneliest countries in the world because people are so stinking isolated. It's part of our culture. We're individualistic. And so we uh, have these requirements for small groups because of our culture. We think it's what God would want us to do because this is how important this is but guys, culturally, we don't think this is important in our culture. Why? Because we can do everything by ourselves. That's our mentality. We don't need anybody. We can do it ourselves. We're winners. We're Americans. We're prideful and we're stupid. That's what we are. We are prideful and stupid when we think that way. We need to realize we are, uh, we are in great need of, of the wisdom that God has for us. And guys, God knows how to do life better than we do. He designed it. He just knows how to do it better. Um, lastly, loving fellowship starts with my love for Christ. Loving fellowship starts with my love for Christ. What's the greatest command in the Bible? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's what Jesus says. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's that look like? If you love somebody, what do you do? Do you talk to them? Do you spend time with them? Do you do stuff that they want you to do? Do you not do stuff that they don't want you to do? Okay. Uh, you spend time, you pray, you honor, 
You are relationally connected like you make his desires, your desires. That's loving God. Love God. That's number one. This needs to be the driving force for everything else in life. Paul in Acts 21, 13 says, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm not ready to be bound, only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. Paul says, I love, I love Jesus this much. I'm willing to give my life for him. That's loving God. I'm willing to make his goals and his desires my goals and my desires. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, same guy, Paul says, you see, the controlling force in our lives is the love of the anointed one. He says in uh, the NIV, Christ's love compels us. That's how he says that. Christ's love compels us. Guys, the same love that compelled him should compel us. Fellowship here is not optional. Fellowship is essential. You will not become the person that you are designed to be without fellowship. If you're here today and you're investigating a relationship with God, you're in a place where you can have fellowship with people who can help you in your relationship with God. And that's the way God designed it to work. The way faith is transmitted is from one person to another who is telling the story of Jesus and helping people understand how to follow him. Fellowship is integral to your health and spiritual development. If you're here today and you're lonely and you want greater fellowship, I would like to invite you into that. You've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. Uh, I want to invite everybody to pull that out, and we're going to close our lesson with this, uh, and that is your response, guys. There's some space there for you to fill that out. Um, if you're here investigating faith, or you're just maybe looking at a church, or maybe this is kind of a new thing that you're looking into, and you want to just talk to somebody or get some more information, indicate on there that you'd like a Bible study. Uh, because what that is, is we get just a couple of members to get together with you and look at some scriptures uh, and talk about your relationship with God. Because that's really where everything starts. The, the most important thing is your relationship with God. And uh, we also, guys, we have small groups that we do here. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can indicate, and we'll get somebody together with you. Uh, next weekend, uh, am I right on that? It's next weekend, the chili cook-off? Yeah, so next weekend, uh, we got our chili cook-off that's coming. Uh, it's also going to be uh, crock pots uh, and some other things. So this is the Sunday to come to the crossings, Okay. Uh, you want to come and, and, and hang out after. We're going to be setting up and having a meal together, and you get to vote on some of your favorites. And so uh, I heard there will be prizes, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Um, is there anything else we need to announce besides that coming up? Okay. Yeah, I thought that was the only thing. So we're going to close, and we're going to sing a song here in a moment. I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing. During that song, you're going to have some time to fill that card out. Uh, I really do want to encourage everybody to respond. Uh, even if you're a member of the church and you just need some prayer, guys, it's good for you to respond on Sundays uh, because, it, you know, anytime we get into the habit of hearing the word of God and not making an application, that's not a good habit. So I just want to encourage you to try to find some application every week that uh, something you can get better in or work on. Um, and, and let's just do that together. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. You'll have time to fill the card out during that first song. Then we'll sing a second song and pass some baskets. And you can drop your card in that basket, okay? Thank you for your uh, attention this morning. And I uh, look forward to 
seeing what you guys do. Let me pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this group of people. Uh, Father, I want to pray as we think about um, fellowship and our participation in church. God, I was so confused about what the church was for for so long. I just kind of thought it was a meaningless social club. I did not understand it was actually a tool of transformation that you would use in my life. God, you put people in my life that were wise, that were able to pour into me. All that because I was part of the church. There's a collective wisdom and, and a working of your spirit, God, that takes place. And so I just pray we'll take that serious. I pray uh, if we're investigating faith today, that we will uh, take the next step in, in that journey and not just sit on, you know, wondering about you, God, that we'll get to know you. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I love the way you love like no other. It's